Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing It. It was written by Stephen King and published in 1986. And the film adaptation came out in 2017 and was directed by Andy Muschietti. And we're only talking in this episode about It Chapter 1, the film. Yes. And in a week... We will be releasing our next episode on the new Chapter 2 movie. Yes. So we're breaking the book into two parts. And it is already kind of divided into two parts. It flashes back a lot. It's not like part one and then part two. Um, but for the sake of our own sanity, yeah, uh, we figured we'd just record this episode first, talk about the first movie, talk about the childhood parts in the book, and then once the new movie comes out with the adult version, we will talk about that portion of the book as well. And then whatever else we didn't get to cover. Also. Yeah, because there's definitely things that aren't in either the like these two timelines. Yeah. There's other events from like the history of the town. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, a lot of that wasn't covered in this movie, but we don't know what's going to be in the second movie. Yeah. So we're going to hold off on saying anything about any of that book stuff now mm-hmm. um, and basically only talk about things referred to in the first movie. Yeah. And mostly the childhood in the in the book as well. So yeah. if you're like, what about this part they didn't mention? Um, chances are we might mention it next episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> or we forgot because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> We are also going to be releasing a bonus episode for our patrons on Patreon on the 90s miniseries version. Yes. So if you would love to listen to our discussion of the Tim Curry Pennywise mm-hmm. adaptation, um, just head on over to Patreon. You can become a patron at any level and you will get access to these bonus episodes. Yeah, just chuck in a buck and you'll be able to listen to uh, that bonus episode. And I'm excited to do that one because we'll get to talk about which Pennywise is maybe scarier. Yeah. And I think we've learned from doing these bonus episodes, like with I Am Legend, Mm -hmm. you can see how the Will Smith version of the movie pulled from not just the book, but previous versions of the movie. Yeah, so we can talk about what do do the new movies actually pull from the miniseries. Yeah, like being split into two parts, the children part and the adult part. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. That will be coming down the line shortly. Yes. But, Adina. Yes. We've got so much to talk about this episode already. No, Oh, my God. We're going to do our best here. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you know this, but the book is almost 1,200 pages. Yes. It weighs like four or five pounds. It's just shy. It's not quite his longest book. The Stand mm-hmm. is his longest, but like not by much more. Yeah. Um, and I mean... Yeah, so even though we're only talking about half the book, we're talking about probably 500 pages. To 600 pages, yeah. Worth of content. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King, like, rambles and rambles, and he has, like, a bunch of side journeys yeah. that he takes us on. So there's just a lot of content. Anyone who's read Stephen King knows that if he can keep it short, he will not. <laughs> <laughs> this was prime cocaine phase two. Yes, he like, was still in the middle of this. Do you think King had an editor at all? Or was it just someone who just, like, greenlit? I mean, this was the height of his fame. Yeah. I mean, the 80s, he owned the 80s. It's true. Um, So I don't think anyone was really like, uh, you have to cut this. Because Stephen King was probably like, um, I'll just publish it anyway. And <laughs> Do you I'll know sell who I am? Dollars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 
maybe could have used a better editor in this situation. I think so. But I will say, though, that there is something to the mass of this book that I liked in a way. I don't think all of the pages were used to their full extent. No. Um, It's an experience. It is, yeah. That's the best way to describe it. Like, it consumes you because, and it consumed me, because it was all I was able to read for, like, three weeks. Yeah. Um, And Ian was listening to it and also reading it, and I was only reading it. And I've talked about this before, but I do not like horror. (laughs) So I was having nightmares, not every night, but kind of consistently reading this book. Um, I won't describe all of them, but generally the, the nightmares would follow like this thread of like me being like in some situation and like Pennywise would just be like in the distance watching me. Like in the background, which is incredibly accurate to like. I know, the like books and the it movies. just like hovering over me, and yeah. like I can't get rid of it. So yeah, terrifying. <laughs> it sounds horrifying. It sounds as scary as anything in the book. So yeah, I want to thank you on <laughs> not only my behalf, but I think all of the listeners for you sticking out through this movie and for the books as well. It's worth it to be able to talk about it. I think right. Yeah, you just got that like you're like I can't wait to like. Dig in. Dig in and just mm-hmm. really voice all of my opinions on so this. So many opinions. So many. <laughs> but let's get started with where both book and movie begin mm-hmm. with the death of Georgie. Probably the cutest kid in the world. He's so cute. He's cute in the book. He's cute in the movie. He's so... I know, he is cute in the book too, but like, God, the kid in the movie... I know. ...is just so sweet. <laughs> uh, it's a rainy day mm-hmm. and... Bill is sick in bed. I Mm -hmm. forget what he has specifically, but Georgie wants to make a paper boat and race it down the flooded streets of uh, the street they live on. Mm -hmm. And Bill helps him. And it's a great scene because like, obviously we don't get a lot of Bill and George material. (laughs) So they have to do a lot with the time they're given. Mm -hmm. And it's sweet because, you know, George is Bill's younger brother and there's a little bit of antagonism there between brothers. Yeah. But you can tell that the, they really have a lot of love for each other Mm -hmm. on both sides. And it's very touching. And they cover this boat with wax and then Bill sends Georgie out. He's like, okay, go like race her down the, down the road. And of course, as we all know, probably everyone knows this story, at least, if, even if you haven't read it or yeah. seen it, that the boat goes down into the sewer. It's funny how this opening is probably the most iconic It is very iconic. Scene of, yeah. It, it just really touches on... I think the image of, like, a young boy in a yellow raincoat. Yes. And then, like looking into the sewer and like something being in there and the surrealism of the situation of the clown and the storm drain. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, he's going to be like monstrous in a way, but at that point it's still a clown and kind Mm -hmm. of like odd. And the thing that's interesting about this scene too, that kind of had me thinking a lot in in general about Pennywise is he kind of lures Georgie yeah, I thought this that scene. this episode was very different from the way that he encounters other children. Yeah, because all the other kids, he is intentionally scaring them and frightening them. Yeah. And kind of chasing them around. Mm-hmm. And But in this scene, he successfully lures Georgie in. Tries to get him to trust him. 
Yeah. Has a conversation with him. Exactly. It's weird. It is. It's very. Because this doesn't happen anywhere else. No, it doesn't. And it kind of made me wonder, like, what is the function of him as a clown? Is it to fool children Mm -hmm. or is it to scare children? Because, I mean, clowns can definitely do both. Yeah. And maybe it's supposed to be on a basis of the kid. Yeah. Maybe some kids are like, ooh, a clown. And other Mm -hmm. kids are like, fuck no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I don't. No, but it did have me thinking a lot about what Pennywise's like goals cl- were goals in are. that moment. Yeah, because yeah, it seems like this worked pretty well, and you'd think he'd be doing that more. Yeah, but I don't but know. Georgie is also a lot younger. That's true. So maybe he's just like more susceptible to the um, the sugar rather than the vinegar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, it doesn't last, and Georgie gets his arm ripped off in the book. Um, he dies immediately of shock yeah. and blood loss and they ha- they have his body there and, you know, the clown just takes the arm, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and like, this it, is enough. In the movie, he pulls the rest of George into the sewer yes. after him as well. So they don't find Georgie's body. And this really changes a lot in the story because uh, in the book, He's definitely dead. They found the body. You know, they know kind of what happened. Like his arm got ripped off by someone or something. Yeah. And so Bill in the book is seeking revenge. Yes. He's kind of on this revenge mission, this goal, and kind of ropes everyone else into it. So it's kind of a very negative kind of um, emotional experience for him in that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the movie, because they never found a body, he's still kind of convinced that George might be out there. Yeah. Or at least he might find out what happened to him. Yeah. Because nothing of him ever turned up. Mm-hmm. So different goals and mindsets for Bill in the story. Yeah. It's really sad because this really tears Bill's family apart. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how his parents are never the same and how they kind of like shut down emotionally. Yeah. And not only are dealing with like the grief of George, but also kind of like, they don't blame Bill for it, but they like shut him out from their lives. Yeah. So Bill feels like guilty. We don't get a ton of this in the movie. No, there's actually a few deleted scenes uh, that I watched that pad this story out a little bit more, mm-hmm. a little more content with him and his parents, him and his dad. And then an ending that seems more hopeful. Yeah. Like after everything happens, he goes back to his parents and they're going on a trip. Mm-hmm. So the movie kind of chopped a lot of this out. Yeah. But I get why. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And uh, Bill, his his biggest trait or characteristic that's most like I should say iconic. Yeah. Is his stutter. Mm-hmm. He has a terrible stutter that only gets worse after Georgie is killed. Yeah. And he is kind of like a natural leader, despite his stutter. Yeah. In the book, especially, they talk about, Stephen King talks about how he has this magnetism to him and people instinctively kind of look to him for guidance and authority. Um, So that's a really interesting characteristic to contrast with the stutter. Yeah, I love Bill in this story. He's like maybe my favorite character in the whole book, Mm -hmm. which is great because he is the lead character for most uh, in most ways. And like you said, that contrast of him being a leader with that stutter, yeah. but also like he's a, he's a big kid and the, his friends call him big bill yeah, because I guess he's like very tall and strong for his age. Mm-hmm. And that also seems like, 
you know, the stutter seems like a, a a huge vulnerability in a lot of ways. Yeah. And for that to also be contrasted by his like kind of physical presence. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I just really love all of that. And the fact that his friends really like still respect him mm-hmm. despite the stutter, like that doesn't really matter. I like that a lot, too. He also has a bike that yes. is like this huge bike um, in the movie it's called i guess in the book and movie it's called it's Silver. Both, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and he just like rides it around but he's like this young kid on this like huge bike just <laughs> trying to like get it going and then once it get go- gets going it like flies yeah and in the book he kind of has almost like a death wish yeah i think because he's probably has like almost ptsd from george dying yeah and he kind of has this thrill of like riding this huge bike mm-hmm. through town just like in reckless speeds yes but i really loved that that quality of him on this enormous bike mm-hmm. uh I, I didn't notice it being particularly big in the movie no it might have been large-ish but not i don't think as ridiculous as it was in the book yeah bill has an encounter with evil uh yes. he is like flipping through George's photo album because he was taking pictures before he died and the one picture of George like becomes bloody yeah and And it's like super creepy and it winks at him yeah um and this is startling to him and I forget if the blood is gone or his parents don't notice or what yeah I I can't quite remember uh because all the versions are getting stuck like mixed up in my head even the Tim Curry one uh but this is clearly like some kind of weird phenomenon going on. And he later goes back with his friend Richie to mm-hmm. look at the album again. And another similar situation happens where one of the photos comes to life. Yeah. It's an old photo that like Georgie just had. He like found mm-hmm. and the scene comes to life and Pennywise is in it. Right. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like performing on the street. And I forget what prompts Bill to put his hand into the photo. Puts his finger in. Yeah, but he like reaches into the photo and like his finger gets sliced up. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Like it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, but so clearly, and, and Richie is obviously there too to like confirm what happened. Like mm-hmm. they both saw it, so weird shit's going on. Yeah, in the movie there's an incident where Bill goes in the basement. Yeah. And... He or he hears like Georgie walking down the steps and he goes, follows him into the basement, sees Georgie in the corner, and then it turns into Pennywise. And I wrote my note down as uh, Pennywise sharks out of the water <laughs> because he just kind of like bump, bump launches himself out of the water. Yeah, because he was actually like submerged behind Georgie. Yeah. And then he just kind of like, like wiggle, wiggle. He, he, he like shuffles. Yeah. And then like launches out. <laughs> Pennywise does that a lot in the movie. He like, like he just kind of like vibrates at people. Yeah. And it's kind of <laughs> gyrates. Yes. Uh, and it's kind of terrifying. It, but God, when Georgie, I forget what he's repeating your yeah. fault, I think over yeah. and over. And his like face becomes like, uh, like, decaying Mm -hmm. as he's saying it like water comes out of his mouth it's very creepy it's upsetting (laughs) because georgie's so cute i know uh let's switch to ben yeah ben aka the fat kid um (laughs) everyone kind of has a defining characteristic in this story in the movie he's actually new in town yeah i guess he's not in the book is he I mean, if he is, it's not, it maybe is brought up like one time and then never yeah, again. Yeah, it's not like it is as big of a characteristic. Yeah, but he is being like really bullied by this character, Henry, who 
ends up kind of he's bullying everyone, but it yeah. seems like at the beginning he's really targeting Ben. Yeah, and and, and just for clarification, like. When we're like the fat kid. Yes. Part of why we say that is because Stephen King says that. Yes. Like a lot. Like, I don't know. It's one of those things. And it's kind of one of Stephen King's problems, I'd say. But instead of just being like, yeah, Ben was overweight. And then not needing to bring it up frequently. Because like, we know. Yeah. We remember. Yeah. But instead, it's like his massive backside and his yeah. like thick thighs and his like gut wiggling. Like we get a lot of descriptions like that. Yeah. And Ben is really self-conscious about his weight and he gets really, you know, he gets teased. He gets bullied. He doesn't have any friends, which is really sad. I know. I think there's a line in the book that's really good about if you had asked Ben if he was lonely, he would have been surprised yeah or had said no because it's like a thing he doesn't even think about really he just kind of never known anything else yeah he just is alone constantly and Mm -hmm. it's like very sad it is but ben's another great character though yeah he also has this crush on a girl in his class named beverly and ends up writing a little poem to her yeah and it's really good (laughs) it is a good poem and he's like really embarrassed and he He's almost instinctually like, she won't like someone like me. Yeah. Um, Which is sad. It is. But on the day that a lot of things happen for Ben, he it's the last day of school. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he didn't let Henry cheat on his test, cheat on him, off of him. Yeah. Uh, cheat off, off him. him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so Henry is now upset because he has to like take summer school classes because he failed. Yeah. So Henry kind of um, stalks him after school. And first, Ben goes to the library mm-hmm. where he has in the movie his it encounter. Yes. Which something that Ben kind of does, he becomes kind of the the knower of Derry mm-hmm. because as being a new kid, he's just interested and he goes to the library and he reads a lot. Yeah. And he looks up the history of Derry, which is a history of violence and these very dramatically violent events that happen every so often, every like say 27 years or so. Yeah. Um, and he's looking up this information and then he finds these like little eggs. Yeah. That- Cause he was just reading about the Easter day uh ironworks explosion that killed yeah. a bunch of children mm-hmm. so and then of course he sees and like, they look eggs. like antique eggs too yeah they're very odd and like mm-hmm. old looking uh by the way fun fact when he's looking through those photos if you look in the background there's a librarian just staring at him like Ooh. in the background creepily and That's it's like really scary. definitely pennywise oh my god it's just this woman like kind of hunched up and Ugh. like watching him that's upsetting. If you like the movie and don't know that, like when you watch that scene, just look in the background. This creepy woman's watching him. Oh, my God. He follows the eggs into like the basement of the library. That's super creepy. And he ends up seeing the body of like a child whose head has been blown off. Yes. Which is implied that it was like one of the kids that died in the explosion. Yes. Because um, he sees a picture with like a kid's head in a tree. And like he's, an old photo. Yeah. And the body's holding a bunch of eggs. Yeah. That it's dropping. But of course it chases Ben. Yeah. And it turns ca- into Pennywise at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved the, there's kind of a weird cut where there's silence and he looks behind him and you get like that quick shot of Pennywise. Yeah. I think he calls him egg boy or something. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good little, little scary scene. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he gets away, but as soon as he like gets out of the library, Henry Bowers and his gang are there and they start chasing Ben and Ben's running, but they catch up to him and he's basically on this like railing overlooking this kind of swampy barrens area. And Henry grabs him and he's like, I'm going to carve my name into your stomach with a knife, with a switchblade. And of course, Ben is like, oh, my God, they're going to, like, kill me. Yeah. And even Henry's friends are like, dude. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) So he starts and he gets through the whole he he gets an H cut into his stomach. Yeah. And luckily, Ben has this moment of like, like Eureka, where he like kicks Henry and flips backwards into the Barrens. Yeah. And this chase starts mm-hmm. where Henry's after him. And it's a little more extended. It's pretty gruesome in the book. Yeah. A lot of these encounters are very, like, bloody and, oh, yeah. and gruesome. Yeah. But we do get an amazing moment where Ben gets to kick Henry right in the balls. Oh, it's amazing. Like, where, <laughs> where Ben has the chance to get away, and he just turns around and just gives Henry a swift kick between the legs, and it's wonderful. It's very satisfying. <laughs> but Ben eventually gets away, and um, in the book, he hides um, in the barrens, and yeah, like, kind of waits them in, out. like, a pipe, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also get... There's a different version of his Pennywise encounter. It's not much, but he sees... Pennywise and Pennywise turns into the mummy. Yeah. And this is like the first, I believe, of the encounters that is like a classic horror movie monster. Yeah. There's a lot of them in the book. Mm-hmm. A lot of the encounters deal with classic horror monsters. Actually, I feel like this was very scary for me when I was reading it. Really? Because Ben describes it. It's winter. Yeah. And he's looking down the river. He's like on a bridge and he like looks down, like looks across and Pennywise, it's he's still a clown, but he's also the mummy. Yeah. And he's holding the balloons, but he's just standing like in the distance on the ice. Yeah. And then he like starts walking to him and Ben is like frozen because he can't move. Yeah. And then Pennywise gets to the point where he like grabs his shoe and then Ben like runs away. Yeah. It's it like very close. A really close call. Yeah. And the descriptions of the mummy are really good, like mm-hmm. really creepy with like the wrappings and everything. And it, it, it's a good scene. I yeah. did enjoy it. Uh, but in the Barrens, Ben runs into uh, a lot of the other characters mm-hmm. and essentially becomes friends then with Ben, uh, Richie, Stan and uh, Eddie. Eddie. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and it's interesting, too, because. In the book, the barons are where they hang out. Yeah. Like the barons are their getaway where they like go to explore and play. And it's kind of this wilderness that they shouldn't be in. Yeah. Because especially the river's really gross. Mm -hmm. It's like all this like sewage runoff and other stuff. Like it's not good. (laughs) But it's what they it's kind of their space. Yeah. In a way. Mm -hmm. The movie doesn't really do that really because Bill basically figures out that that's most likely where Georgie washed out of the sewers. Yeah. If Georgie went into the sewers, that's likely where he came out. Mm-hmm. And Bill figures this out. So that's why that day when Ben goes down there, they're in the Barrens. Yeah, they're kind of poking around a sewage drain and trying to like find some evidence um, or figure out what's going on down there. And of course, Ben runs into them and then... They kind of like all like get out of there. Yeah, they get the fuck out because Ben is like just looks awful. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, something I also wanted to mention just about Ben quickly while 
in the book, he has like more specific qualities that are interesting too. He's really smart. Mm -hmm. And at one point he helps them dam up the Barrens River. Uh And like they cause all kinds of problems, I think, with like the (laughs) town. A cop has to come down and investigate. Yeah. But like Ben's just really smart with like, um, not architecture at that point. He grows up to become an architect. Yeah. But just like understanding physics and like how things can, how to build things. Yeah. And the other thing I love about Ben is he also kind of, I think, figures out how strong he is mm-hmm. in the book, too. Like, he's a big kid, and there's a few encounters he has with Henry where he re- he's really able to, like, hold his own against Henry, and he's, like, not afraid of him Yeah, and he as uses, much. like, his weight to his advantage oftentimes yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, just, like, some more qualities where, like, Stephen King's kind of playing with these these weaknesses and, like, the advantages and kind of... Really just making well-rounded characters, I think. Yeah, I agree. Should we talk about Eddie? Yes. Is that who we mentioned? Let's talk about Eddie, who I have to give a shout out to the actor that plays Eddie in the movie. Oh my God. He is so good. He, it's hard to, like, I think people talked about Finn Wolfhard the most as Richie, but Eddie was, oh my God, like. I don't know how to put it like that character didn't have to be as funny as he was. No, he could have been like a really annoying, actually, because yeah. he's always like he's very sickly and he has asthma and he's kind of and his mother has been very is very protective of him. Yeah. And is like, oh, he is not well, like he's very delicate. And so she's kind of like primed him to fear infection, diseases, mm-hmm. any like thing dangerous that he could like break a limb or something. But you just have in the movie, he's just <laughs> this like quick talking, high pitched, like nervous little like shit. Yeah. But it's great. And I love him. He and Richie played by Finn Wolfhard in the movie. I read that like a lot of their banter was like uh, improvised. Oh my God. Which you can tell because sometimes they're just walking into a room talking about something totally yeah. like random. Uh, but Yeah, he just, he was so funny and... He just has really great energy. Yeah, and whereas Richie is set up to be funny, Eddie isn't necessarily. So I actually think Eddie maybe was even the best in this movie, acting-wise. Yeah, he was great. (laughs) But yeah, so I think also Eddie maybe has one of the most kind of traumatic or trauma-inducing situations in the story. Yeah. Because all the kids kind of, to varying degrees, carry trauma to some extent yeah through the story and we'll talk about the how different the levels are between characters but eddie's relationship with his mom is really toxic because she's constantly convincing him that he's sick to be like super afraid of everything yeah and luckily at this point in his life he's kind of a little rebellious and doesn't always care or listen especially as he's becoming closer with the gang yeah he is like these are the people i care about and you know they value me and i like to be with them and i'm not gonna let these fears that my mother has and that she's trying to put on me keep me from that um but yeah it's really kind of sad because you can tell that he's just raised in an environment of fear yeah for sure and we do see growth in that area Mm -hmm. but well this that that would get a little into the the future part i'll just say that like he does kind of evolve in this portion of the story yeah which i think is interesting eddie also has an encounter with it um there's this abandoned house 
Yes. Uh, in this like shady part of town. On Niebolt Street. And he like is walking by one day and like sees. And it's interesting because in the book, his fear is based off like a real encounter he has. Right. I, that rings a bell. I like, think the first encounter he has, he actually like sees a homeless person there. Yeah. And he thinks that the homeless person has leprosy, but really it's untreated syphilis. And the guy like basically kind of like comes up to Richie and, or excuse me, to Eddie and is like, I'll blow you for like a dollar. Yeah. And Eddie is like terrified. Yeah. And then the guy kind of like sees that he's afraid and starts like coming toward him. Mm-hmm. And I think we're supposed to believe that this is a real person at this moment. Yeah. But he goes back later and it's it. Yeah. But and it's impersonating. He calls him the leper. Yes. In in the um in the movie, he just kind of like appears by the house. Yeah. And the makeup on this guy and the it was really creepy. Yeah, it looked like he was rotting. Yeah, like his nose was missing oh. and he it's a really good scary kind of chase scene. Yeah. In the movie that's really effective. In the book, it's even more terrifying because for some reason, Eddie's like, I'm going to crawl under the porch of this house. Well, it's talked about a lot in the book that it kind of um, puts out this like draw. Yeah. And we've seen this with other characters where the kids find themselves almost compelled to go into houses, follow into a doorway or like it's like a mixture of curiosity and like also being like actively enticed or like hypnotized almost yeah which is interesting but also just like super convenient i know (laughs) i'm like why are you literally you're going into a window in a basement like how are you gonna get out yeah yeah so he's under the porch and like it breaks through the window at him and as it's like crawling towards him it's just falling apart It was a really disgusting part of the book. It, it was, was like very descriptive. Also, super also gross. disgusting in the movie. So for sure. Yeah. Both versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also like so all these kids are like getting attacked by these things, but also seeing the clown also yes. like kind of like the facade drops and they see Pennywise. Mm-hmm. So they all kind of know about the clown. Yeah. And I don't think we've mentioned this, but around this time, too, not only has Georgie died, but there have been other disappearances of kids and also bodies found of kids yeah sometimes they're found other times they're not Mm -hmm. yeah and there's kind of a whole there's kind of a whole complacency in dairy we'll talk about it more but people they're concerned you know like they have a curfew and everything yeah but it's, it's tough to remember whether this when this is mentioned but at some point in the book they talk about this yeah and they were like they were like 19 kids disappeared like that year. Yeah. And they were like, you'd think like major news channels would be there yeah. like covering it. You'd think it would be this like national mm-hmm. like people cared and like made curfews and like missing posters, but like also like not enough. Yeah. And it's kind of this weird complacency mm-hmm. going on in the town. Yeah. Like there's kind of a fog over everyone to an extent. Yeah, especially the adults. The kids, like, are aware of the danger, but they're also children, so mm-hmm. part of them is, like, not really in tune with what really is going on. No. But the adults definitely, there's this um, attitude of, like, look away. Yeah. 
Um, and pretend it's not happening. Like when Ben was getting attacked. Yeah. In the movie specifically, like an old couple drives by and like does nothing. Yeah. And we even get a balloon in their back car just kind of implying the you influence know, of yes, it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about Richie. Richie Trash, trash Mouth, mouth Tozier. <laughs> Richie, luckily. Oh, God. There's not like a ton of backstory with him. Yeah. Like he doesn't really have any like traumas. No. He doesn't have any big struggles or anything on the surface. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't even have an early encounter Mm-mm. with the clown. We kind of find out about one maybe later yeah. in the book. But in the movie, he has no early encounter with Pennywise. No. But Richie is, uh, let's say in the book, problematic. Um, I think problematic is too, is like the least word that we should use. True. Fair. He, so in the book, Richie is called Trash Mouth because he just does all these voices he has all these like personas and like impersonations that he does. And as they're describing Richie in the book, I'm like, I think he has ADHD. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because um, like he just like can't stop. But the problem is that all of his voices are racial stereotypes. Like pretty super... much every one of them. Yeah. And I get it. Like, okay, it was a book written in the 80s and about the 50s. Yeah. So I'm sure people are like, oh, like the sensitivity is like we're way more imp- impressioned by it. Yeah. But when you say the N word like over 40 times just from Richie. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yeah. I am not OK with that. And he not like he says the N word and also does like an African-American impersonation Um, That is very rooted in like really archaic ideas about, you know, racial identity. Um, It's just bad all around. And it's not the only voice that he does that is problematic because there are several, but it's probably the worst of them. And I think what makes it worse, too, is that these voices come back in adulthood. Yeah. So it's never anything that's like acknowledged as being like bad. You know what I mean? If this was like. Oh, God, I can't believe I said those things like in in the future. I might be a little bit more like, okay, it's at least understanding we've progressed and that this isn't okay, even by 80s standards now, you know. So luckily that is almost completely (laughs) muted in the movie. Yeah, the movie takes a different interpretation of Trash Mouth. Um, In the movie, Richie is just like swears a lot, is kind of a loud mouth, is always just like saying like the most ridiculous shit that comes into his head. Yeah, constantly making jokes about Eddie's mom. Yeah, and kind of ragging on everyone. Yeah, exactly. And ever it's just like he's com- doing a comedy special or something. <laughs> and ever just constantly has to tell him to shut up. I know. Quick question though, just thinking about this. At one point, he has an encounter with Pennywise, and yeah. he says beep beep. Does. Has that, did anyone else ever say that to him? I don't think so. Okay. It's a book thing. It, it's definitely a book thing. People would, which I guess just means shut up. Like, yeah. Like, you know, keep quiet, Richie. Like, they would say beep, beep at him. Yeah. 
Uh, so it's just a it's just a book callback for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah. But I was just curious because when he said that, I'm like, has anyone been saying that? And I was like, I don't think so. But yeah, I just love Richie in the movie. Finn Wolfhard is great. But yeah. he, he just portrays like he is an asshole, but he's just so funny. <laughs> and his like physical performance is good, too. Yeah. And he's not just like one dimensional either. Like there are parts when he's kind of like freaking out mm-hmm. and he is emotionally invested in what's going on. He's not just this total goofball who like, you know, doesn't care about anything. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Stan. And oh, what a short talk it will be. <laughs> so I feel like Stan is the most or the least developed character in the book, which is upsetting. Absolutely. Like he doesn't, you don't get a lot of his parents or his home life. Really. All you know about him in the book is that he's Jewish and he likes birds. Absolutely. That Those are the, the main defining qualities mm-hmm. of Stan. And that is upsetting because like he is representing a minority in the story. Yeah. And it's the it gets way less time than like multiple just white characters. Yeah. You know and what like I mean? the other characters, especially Richie, are always like ragging on him for being Jewish. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, get over it. Like there's. You know, there's a lot of diversity or some diversity in your group. Like, this isn't the thing to harp on. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though. They do have a discussion at one point where uh, Stan kind of like kind of claps back at Richie because mm-hmm. he's Catholic. He comes from a Catholic family and he's kind of. Cause I think, well, why do you do this thing? Yeah. Because yeah. Richie's like, you don't eat pork. And he's like shocked. And then. Uh, he's like, would you stand like, would you eat meat on Friday? Mm-hmm. And Richie's like, no, of course not. And then he's like, oh, okay. He's like <laughs> actually thinking about it. Yeah. So we do get like some progress in him, like understanding a little bit more maybe. Yeah. Uh, so I do appreciate that element when it happens. Mm-hmm. And we do get in the book, this idea of Stan as being a very like neat and orderly person. Like yeah. he needs things to be like in their place and to be right, basically. His sense of order is strong. He has an encounter with um, it at the standpipe, yeah, which is this big water tower. Yeah, where he is drawn to it. Of course, the doors open. He was just watching birds, minding his own business, and he yeah. heard, he heard a door open. And of course, it's a Stephen King novel, so we get like a ten-page precursor <laughs> to this, explaining the history of the standpipe. Yeah, how there's a walkway over the water, and some kids fell in it one summer and drowned because there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah, and like just <laughs> so ex- extensively descriptive. But so if Stan goes in there. Of course, the door shuts, and he can like smell a fair. He can smell cotton candy and hot dogs and all these things. And then he hears these wet, squelching footsteps descending. And it's the drowned kids. And they're clearly dead. They're like zombies. Yeah. And they're coming towards him. And he like barely gets out. Again, he like yells the name of a bird. And that seems to like stop it. Yeah. And then he's able to escape. It's like Richie where he was just compelled Or, like, doesn't know where it came from. He just started yelling something. In this case, like, the names of birds. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, yeah, like you said, stopped them. But this part was scary. It was scary. This part was freaky. Yeah, I think that's a a better fear than, like, a werewolf. Yeah. Or a mummy. For sure. In the movie, we get an even better fear 
Um, there's this scene where Stan is in the synagogue and his father's the rabbi and his father is kind of a dick to him. So yeah. we're led to believe there's, you know, some problems in his home life. And we also find out here that he and probably the rest of the group are 13 in this adaptation, yeah. not 11, because um, Stan is about to complete his bar mitzvah, which happens at the age of 13. And it does happen in the movie, so he turns 13. And so we're guessing that the rest of them are around that age as well. Yeah, just like a little bit older, yeah. which I, I could have guessed, I thought, like, you know, watching it. Yeah. Uh, but so he, he goes into his dad's office to return um, the book, and there's this creepy photo, or not photo, painting. Yeah. And it looks a little bit like the scream. It's a real painting. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. That's like famous before or known. Wow. So yeah, this creepy painting of Of this woman of a woman with a flute and her it's kind of like the scream and that like her head is warped and weird Mm -hmm. and he just like does not want to look at it. (laughs) And of course the painting falls off the wall. And he goes to put it back. And as soon as he hangs it on the wall, he sees that there's no woman in the painting anymore. And then she's like stalking him. It's terrifying. The scene was very scary. I thought this was so effective because it's such a it feels like such a real fear. Yeah. You would have have. as a child. Yeah. And it it plays really well for the audience, too, I think, because like that scene where you see the woman out of focus behind him. Yeah. And the effect, like the kind of uncanny valley of it. Being like, like a, a painting, painting, but yeah, also yeah. a monster. But I, I really like how the movie does this approach a little bit more. These kind of like more grounded fears or interesting, unique fears. Yeah. Because in the book, I hope I said the movie. Uh, yeah. In the did. book, Stephen King kind of does a, and he's talked about this in interviews. He wanted to write a book that has like all the monsters in it. <laughs> Had Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the creature of the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. They're all here, folks. And I just don't care that much. I'm just not scared by most of them. No, I think the clown is scarier than anything. I completely agree, which I think is maybe the point. I think Stephen King wanted the scariest thing he could think of for its true form. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, quote unquote true form. But I, I don't know, just... I wasn't that interested in those. And also it felt a little lame in terms of it's just expected, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And doesn't feel unique to the characters in any way. No. Like, and it's not like deep seated personal fears. It's like, oh, I saw this movie and it scared me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like the more unique takes, I think, in the movie, specifically the painting. I thought that was a stroke of genius. Oh, yeah. A stroke like a like a paint oh, brush like it. stroke like it. of genius. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I just I'm not as into the monster movie characters in the book. Yeah, I personally. agree. I agree. Let's talk about Bev. Talk about Bev. Bev, aka the girl, Marsh. The gal. <laughs> Bev um, the gal. We talked about each of the characters having a defining characteristic, and unfortunately for some of these characters their defining characteristic is not really something about them it's their like identity which for bev is she's a girl yes so like that is the thing that like defines her so she doesn't really get like oh she has a stutter or like she struggles with her weight or she has like you know this 
twisted relationship with her mother, like Eddie, you know, and she does have like trauma in her life. Absolutely. But her like characteristic is that she's like a girl. Yeah. Yeah. And because she is the only girl in the group and the only really noteworthy female character in the story. Yeah. That puts a lot of emphasis and like a lot of pressure on doing that character right. Yeah. And I think for her character to mostly amount to the fact that she's a girl uh, is an issue. Yes. And, oh boy, Stephen King in the book does a lot of things that does not help his situation. Yeah. Where, okay, to establish this and get it out of the way early, I we understand that this is a story of growing up. Yes. Of maturing. And starting to go through puberty, mm-hmm. which Bev is at this point. She's starting to develop breasts. Yeah. We understand that. However, the emphasis put on her body yeah. in the writing, in both just the voice of Stephen King and also the situations that happen. Yeah. And like, the way she's objectified, not just by her peers, which are the other members of the gang, but by adults as well, is very upsetting. Yeah, kind of all the boys, most of them, like Richie notices her mm-hmm. as like kind of a... They're all like in love with her, like half in love with her. Yeah, Ben is definitely, he has mm-hmm. this really strong crush on her. Richie kind of is like, oh, maybe I, you know, I'm interested in girls now, like around her. And of course, Bill ends up with her to an extent. Yeah. So... And things we'll get into later. But so there's just a lot of emphasis put on those qualities of her Mm -hmm. and also her abuse at the hands of her father. Yeah. In the book, she is physically abused regularly by her father um, and she has a mom that doesn't really help her at all. And there's this very interesting description of the way that her relationship works with her father. She has this mixture of fear and love for him Yeah, where she fears him and she hates him, but also she loves him and he is like tender towards her in other scenes as well. Um, so she's just in a very toxic, emotionally manipulative situation and a physically abusive situation. Yeah. And I do think in ways King handles it well in terms of like capturing the kind of like, complex contradicting feelings of being in a relationship like that and never making it Bev's fault in any way. Yeah. Uh, Like I do think he does that correctly, but it's just like all the other ways that she is represented with like no other really, we find out later she can shoot a slingshot. Well, yeah. So that gives her a contribution to the group. Mm -hmm. And I liked that aspect of her. Yeah. It gives, it gives her a lot of power in the group and a lot of, um, importance in scenes but aside from that i don't know she doesn't yeah she doesn't add much she's just the girl in their group and this is something that is actually um called the smurfette principle oh yeah what yeah um and this was really prevalent in like the 80s and 90s um but basically the smurfette principle is um the idea that in every group there's just one girl Mm. And because there's only one girl, she becomes the embodiment of everything feminine. Yeah. So she has to represent womanhood or girlhood for like all of us, basically. Yeah. Because there's only one. So um, most often, you know, the Smurfette will have to 
embody a stereotype because there's like no other way for her to act in the group because she's the only girl. So like she will be like the love interest. Mm -hmm. She will be the sidekick. She will be the mother or, you know, what femme fatale, whatever you're going to say, because she's the only woman, she has to embody like a stereotype basically. Yeah. Yeah. She just becomes kind of the distilled essence almost of what the author or creator kind of like sees in women. Yeah. In and a way. despite the fact that women are 50% of the population to only have one woman represented there is basically saying to, you know, people that consume the media, they're like, that's the only person you can identify with. And like, that's who you are. Yeah. Like you don't get to be like, oh, I'm Bill, like the strong one, but like with a weakness or I'm like Eddie, the underdog, or I'm like Ben, the sweet, like the heart of gold. You know, it's just like, oh, I'm the the girl. Yeah. And I think this is it, it makes me think of like, like it's not necessarily that like it is wrong inherently for any one person to do this. It's yeah. not that like you can't have a story that does that. Yeah. But it's clearly indicative of a trend going on at the time. Yeah. It's like the Bechdel test. It is. Like just because a movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test doesn't mean it's not feminist or yeah. like representative of women in a good way or anything like that. But when you apply it to like all movies and see just in general how few pass it. Yeah. You're like, that's a problem. Yeah. It shows a trend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And same with like the Smurfette thing. Like not that you can't have a story with only one female character in it, but like this is very prominent and prevalent in a lot of stories. Yeah. And because this was really popular, like in the eighties and nineties, we're seeing a lot of remakes now of that. So this trend is only is only continuing. Like we talk about Stranger Things. Eleven yeah. was the only yes. female in the story. And then in the second season, she's kind of away. And so Max becomes like the, you know, replacement. Yeah. And it's only in this third season that we actually see them come together. So like even that, which is like very like new and groundbreaking, it takes to the third season for them yeah. to have any female growth. And it was so good. Max and Eleven in yeah. that series, like when you got two female characters together, it was like, yeah, I yeah. love them. Mm -hmm. uh, and to kind of continue this thought, her encounter with Pennywise in the book and movie is this the very famous and classic spouting geyser of blood in the bathroom? Yeah, I would think. I wonder what that could be a metaphor. <laughs> what is it a metaphor for? <laughs> oh, maybe menstruation, uh, her changing body, bringing it back to the fact that she's a woman, she can't control it. People are, you know, they're uh, sexualizing her. Yes. Without her consent. Like she doesn't want that. She has no control over it. It's tied to a horror thing. And like, I get it. It is horrifying sometimes for a young girl to go through that. But like none of the other characters have that deep of like a fear thing. Yeah. And yeah, that's like tied to them. Like none of the boys have a fear tied to them being boys. No. But her fear isn't like indicative of her being a girl. Yeah. Um, I will say the movie kind of, I think, adds a little bit more to this, too, to maybe it maybe just muddies the metaphor. Yeah. But Bev earlier in the movie cuts all of her hair off mm -hmm. and we see the hair going down the sink, down the drain. And so later when this happens, hair at some point comes out of the drain and is like pulling her down. Yeah. Which may be tying it to more of a metaphor of her abuse with of her dad yeah because when she cuts it off i think that's what she's thinking of she's mm -hmm. like remembering one of those encounters yeah so it's maybe trying to like 
not just make it a period metaphor, but like tying it to that abuse to as the well. Abuse. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked how they did that. And of course, her dad can't see the blood. Mm-hmm. So her bathroom is just a disgusting mess. Yeah. But we do get a great scene in both the book and the movie where the other guys come and help her clean the bathroom up. Yeah. Which I really like. I know. It was sweet because it's very like traumatizing and she keeps seeing it. Um, and she doesn't know how she's going to clean it, but they all help her. Yeah, it's it's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird in the movie because it's like upbeat music. Yeah, like and cleaning like blood montage, everywhere. And it's just like <laughs> horrific like amounts of blood. All right, let's talk about the last member of the Losers. Yes. The Losers gang, Mike. Mike, the token black character yes. of the group. We're going to talk about tokenism. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, though, actually gets a lot of interesting backstory in the book. That I like quite a bit. We find out a lot about his dad. Yeah. Coming to Derry, starting this farm. Uh, we find out about like, we get a whole backstory that maybe we'll get to talk about the next episode about his time in the military and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, his dad does get to talk to Mike quite a bit about, you know, being black and. You what... know, and Maine is very white. Yes. Like and... historically and also now. Yeah. It's yeah. like 95 or 97 percent white. Mm-hmm. So he kind of is trying to pass on a lot of like um, not knowledge, but just like what to expect, how to deal with things, how to ex- deal with other people and racism and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. And so Mike kind of and Mike actually also lives next to Henry Bowers because mm-hmm. Henry lives on a farm. And Henry and his father and his father kind of passes it down to Henry are very racist extremely racist and the dad is kind of like harassing um mike's dad for a while and then he passes that down that hatred down to his son henry so henry like really hates mike and actually like killed his dog in the book yeah but it's really upsetting and we find out in the movie that mike's parents died when he was younger and i think he's being raised by his grandfather or something yeah they died in a fire and i don't know if that's supposed to be kind of a replacement for the black spot. Maybe. Because the black spot is a similar situation where like kind of a club burnt down mm-hmm. primarily with uh, a black clientele. And and this seemed like an apartment complex primarily with black residents burning down. So I don't know if maybe they won't do the black spot at all yeah. in the next movie. They it's, mention it. But mm-hmm. uh, the other interesting thing, though, in the book is that it actually takes a while for them to, for Stephen King to mention or acknowledge that Mike is black. Yeah. Which was very shocking because for everyone else, like, you know, with Ben, Ben's fat, Ben's fat, Ben's fat, like every, you, yeah. every, you know, Stan's Jewish, Stan's Jewish. By the way, he's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> like, just constantly like acknowledging these qualities. Yeah. And so at first reading the book, I was like, oh man, I don't think. I don't think Mike is black in the book because it's been one page and he hasn't mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, So I was really surprised when he did. And I kind of liked that, that it is a big part of his experience in the story, Mm -hmm. um, but kind of made it less of his, at least somewhat less of his defining characteristic. Yeah. And um, there's a good exploration of that between, especially between Mike and his dad, their discussions. Yeah. So that's, that's handled well. Um, We get the coming together of the group and Mike joining the group in this incident where Henry starts beating the shit out of Mike. Yeah. And it 
like the the gang basically like hear what's happening or see what's happening and they come to his defense and they start this epic rock rock fight the apocalyptic rock fight yes it's very different in both versions Mm -hmm. and i like both for different reasons the movie kind of plays it more as like this kind of rowdy tussle. Yeah. Like it kind of has like goofy over the top music. Yeah. These kind of slow-mo funny shots of them. I mean, they're pelting rocks at each other, which yeah. is pretty extreme. Uh-huh. But I do kind of like the more humorous take yeah. they do on it. And they they fend back Henry's gang mm-hmm. um, and save Mike. And this is kind of the completion of their group. Yeah. In the book, it's very dramatic. There's yeah. like fireworks involved and also rocks. And they're like getting shots off on each other and they're like bleeding it's bloody yeah and at what there's this great part where like at one point ben gets to kick henry again which yeah. i loved <laughs> and at one point uh bill and victor are like like everyone else stops and just bill and victor are approaching each other pelting each other with rocks and it's yeah. like very dramatic it is but i really love standoff it. yeah it was like maybe my favorite part of the whole book wow it was just very exciting I loved the group coming together. And like you said, I think the scene, just the picture of Mike rounding the bend and suddenly all six kids are there. Like they knew it was coming. Yeah. And they're waiting and they're like prepared with like Mm -hmm. the rocks and everything. Yeah. Speaking of them waiting and knowing where to go. Yeah. I just want to briefly talk about how in the book, there's this sense of destiny and fate And the fact that the seven of them are coming together and the feeling that they've been chosen somehow. Yeah, there's kind of this like definite like strange otherworldly pull to their group. Like when Mike joins them, Bill thinks like this is complete. This is the group. Like I don't know what this means, Mm -hmm. but this fact that there's seven of us, like I, everything feels connected now. Yeah. And we do find out kind of more about it later that there is like a force pulling them together. Yeah. But it's very mysterious. It is. There's one scene in particular that's very spiritual almost. Yeah. Where their clubhouse is a big hole in the dirt <laughs> and they decide to perform a smoke ceremony, mm-hmm. a smoke hole ceremony where they just start a fire in this hole <laughs> and just sit there breathing and they in the smoke. see who can, who can last the longest in the smoke. Yes. Um, actually, Mike and Richie last the longest. And I loved that because yeah. even Richie in his head was like, God, I thought Bill would have lasted longer, but Bill doesn't and he has to like leave. Yeah, and they have this vision that of like the past and it's basically the arrival of it. And it implies to us that um, it is either an alien or... Or is a being from another dimension that arrived to Earth like billions of years ago? Yeah. And has just been here since and set up shop in in Derry, basically. Um, And it's an interesting scene. It's well written. It's dramatic. It's interesting. But what is the point? Yeah, that that was the biggest problem was they gain no helpful information. No. It's a good backstory builder. And the other problem is like there's clearly there's a whole scene of them deciding who is going to go in the smoke hole. And there's kind of a supernatural thing that happens when they're drawing straws for it. So clearly this guiding force wanted them to all do this. Yeah. And so like it's like this is important. This will show us how to defeat it. Yeah. But it doesn't. No. It's just like, oh, yeah, he's like a crazy cosmic interdimensional being from like millions of years ago. Yeah. 
Great. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Let's continue. It was definitely if we just like got like a like a nugget or kernel of information, yeah. it would have really helped that feel useful. I agree. But by the end I was like, why did any of that happen? In the movie, there's a scene where they're looking at a slide projector of yeah. the sewers and they're in um, Bill's garage and then suddenly the projector starts like going by itself mm-hmm. and then it starts like zooming in on this picture and it's clearly Pennywise. It's very cool and scary and like atmospheric. Yeah. And then of course, like the, the Pennywise is gone from the picture. <laughs> and then and like it's dark until the slide projector clicks the next slide. Mm-hmm. And when it does, Pennywise is just huge. He's like giant in, in the, garage. the garage. Yeah. And it's. I remember watching this for the first time in theaters and being like, this should not be working or be scary, but it is. Yeah. And he kind of so goes goofy. after Bev, too. Yeah. That, that was interesting, too. He's like singles out Bev and mm-hmm. attacks her. But like, yeah, he's just this enormous clown, like crouched in the garage. Yeah. And we keep getting the sliding of uh-huh. the projector cutting in and out. It's very well done. It is because that involves the lighting. It also is a sound. It's interesting. They they um get away. They pull the the garage door up and let the light in and Pennywise is gone. So they like escape that. Um, but then they decide that they're going to go back to Neibolt street, which will be the fourth time that they all go there in the book. Yes. Um, and they're going to confront it directly. And in the movie, Bill kind of decides to do this on his own. He's like, we got to go back. I got to like, I know he killed my brother. We have to like fight him. And the gang just kind of like follows because they don't want, Bill to go alone. Yeah. In the book, it's more intentional. And in fact, they craft, which Ben helps them do, these silver slugs. Yeah, which is interesting. Like, they're just kind of compelled to do it. Yeah. Like, they don't even... Re- At one point, they're like, I don't know why we thought this would work, mm-hmm. but we did it. And, like, it obviously ends up being useful, but, like, they're just kind of drawn to do these things. Yeah. The scenes play out a little differently, yet slightly the same. In the book, the whole group goes into the Neibolt house, mm-hmm. and there's kind of these very weird, almost trippy effects going on. Yeah, like the hallways elongate, and like doors, um, multiple doors appear. The house gets bigger. Yeah, and they feel like they're being pulled apart, like yeah. in space. I, I really liked the creepiness of this like hard to describe sensation of like space getting bigger between them and stuff. Yeah. Uh, But they kind of have to like reunite. They find a bathroom Mm -hmm. and with a broken toilet. And of course, Pennywise comes out of the toilet Mm -hmm. and, and Bev gets to shoot it with the slingshot and these silver slugs. Yeah. Because he turns into a werewolf Mm -hmm. and she actually gets one on him and and hurts him, which is awesome. And Ben almost dies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was an exciting scene and it was good. Uh, Did you notice that like a few times Richie is the one who dictates what it turns into? Yeah. He's like, Oh, it's a werewolf. And then it turns into it. Yeah. Yeah. That happens like at least twice in the book. It's like, Richie, stop. (laughs) Just don't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just say it's like a giant pillow or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, and also in this scene, Bev's blouse just like blows open. Oh my God. Just like another scene of like, why? It doesn't blow open. It explodes. Yeah. Because her boobs grow in like two seconds and it just like pops her blouse and the buttons like pop off. 
It's like, God. why, King? Why did you scene. do this? It ruined the scene. It did. It really did. Yeah. Because, like, she's being, like, awesome with, like, the slingshot. She had this empowering moment. Yeah. And then they're like, don't forget that you're a woman. Yeah. Can't forget to sexualize <laughs> Keep her. Keep you in your place, lady. Yeah. Just unnecessary. Yeah. Like so many things in this book. Yeah. Movie, Kneebolt Street. Yes. Encounter. It's also kind of like a fun house, twisted vibe in mm-hmm. the house. Um, they get separated and Eddie's actually being like terrorized by it. He falls through the um, roof. He gets like singled out. Yeah, he falls through the floor and then like breaks his arm and <sighs> almost gets killed by it. Yeah, I the scene where it unfolds out of the fridge Oof. is so iconic. It's such like that's a really, really great creative shot. How they did that. Mm-hmm. Very creepy. Very well done. And uh, meanwhile, Bill and uh Richie. Richie are being like kind of terrorized in their own way. Yeah. Like with different doors to choose and all this other stuff while Eddie's about to be killed. Mm-hmm. And we get a really great moment that I love where Bill kind of tells Richie like none of it's real. We have to remember that like it's all an illusion. Yeah. And when they open the door that time, it's clear. Mm-hmm. And this is immediately cuts to Pennywise suddenly like feeling it. Yeah. And he's losing his grip on that. Yeah. And there's kind of like a musical like boom when he like looks away. Mm-hmm. And I just love like such a good indicator of like the power shifting. Yes. In the scene. And then of course Bev's Bev gets a great moment without her blouse popping open <laughs> where she impales the the clown with like a metal rod. She just stabs him like right the in the head. head. It's amazing. Oh, and I love the way Pennywise's face is like twisted. Yeah. After that. So good. Mm-hmm. And poor Ben gets like slashed in the stomach again. Yeah. He keeps getting his stomach like gouged out. Poor guy. I know. <laughs> but they get away. Um, in the movie, Eddie's arm is broken. So they have to um, take him to his mom. And she's really upset and is basically like, don't see him again. And then this kicks off a fight within the rest of the group where they're like, Bill wants to go back. And fight it again because they have to kill it. And the rest of the group is like, we can't do that again. Like, this is fucking traumatizing. And this sort of separates them for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's a good scene. The book kind of gives us a little side story with Eddie. Yeah. Where his arm actually gets broken by Henry Bowers Mm -hmm. in like a separate incident. And when he's in the hospital, uh, his mom really like kind of lays it out for him. Like, you're not seeing those kids anymore. They're bad influences. And at this same time, roughly, in both versions, Eddie discovers that, like, the medication he's taking, like, the inhaler and stuff, is just a placebo. Yeah. It's nothing. It's not not real. His mom has sort of invented these illnesses for him, especially his asthma. And, like, he really does, like, wheeze and, like, need his inhaler, but it's implied that it's because it's in his mind. Yeah, it's, like, a psychological thing his mom is, like, doing to him. Yeah. And it's, like, really twisted and sad. It is. We get a great scene in the book where he kind of like finally just lays it out for his mom. Yeah. And is like, I know what you're doing. And listen, I'll keep playing along with it as long as I get to see my friends. Yeah. And it's a great development for Eddie as a character Mm -hmm. because he kind of felt more throwaway. Yeah. And less interesting until this point. Yeah. And he doesn't like completely get himself free from this fear sickness like he still is like kind of falling along with it but it's a little moment of agency for him yeah for sure and we get the best line in the the best line the best line where eddie confronts his mom in the movie and (laughs) 
<laughs> the pharmacist assistant told him that his like inhaler and drugs were like placebos. But of course, he didn't like remember what it's called. So he confronts <laughs> his mom and he's like, they're gazebos. <laughs> and he throws them on the ground. Yeah. I remember when I saw that in theaters, you couldn't even hear how the rest of the scene played out because everyone was laughing for like two minutes after he said that. Oh my God. I just want to see that scene on repeat over and over. <laughs> He's like so angry yeah. and sincere about it. It's like gazebos. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, then we get in both versions, like, Kind of the the inciting incident that kicks us off into the final act. Yeah. And it's very similar in both versions where Bev has a very traumatic encounter with her father. Mm -hmm. The book plays it out. We know her father physically abuses her. Yeah. But this is the first time that he seems to be trying to sexually assault her Mm -hmm. as well. As far as like we can tell. Yeah. And it's also implied that her dad is being slightly possessed by it as well yeah. so that's a factor but um he is like slut shaming her telling her that he's seen her with boys and implying that she's like being like loose sexually or having sex and things like that and tries to assault her and then what happens even he chases her out oh, onto yeah. the street mm-hmm. and this is another great part because bev is terrified running down the street and they run across so many witnesses they run through town yeah and like her dad, like a raving lunatic. Yeah. And people just kind of watch and do nothing. Yeah. And some people even laugh mm-hmm. like, oh, you're in trouble, aren't you? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And like this is clearly like he might kill her if yeah. he catches up with her. Yeah. And I, I really loved this as a great example of how the town turns a blind eye to these problems and these incidents. Yeah. And luckily Bev does get away. Mm-hmm. But it's like terrifying. It is terrifying. Um. The movie uh, is similar in terms of he attacks her. Yeah. It seems. Now. The movie implies that he may have been sexually assaulting her in the past. I think he has been. Yeah. Because she's clearly upset about like when she cuts all of her hair off. Yeah. And he hasn't really like physically attacked her at any point. He's just been very creepy and possessive of her. Yeah. And so. I think the implication is that he's been sexually assaulting her. Yeah. And he tries to do it in this scene and she manages to kick him away and Mm -hmm. get to the bathroom, which she lures him into and then clubs him over the head. With the toilet cover. And I think kills him. I know. He's like, blood is coming from his head. I think he's dead. Because he's found later, like still unconscious in a pool of blood. I'm like, I think she killed him. I think he's dead. Which is like understandable given the circumstances, but like it's never really addressed for what happened later. No. Later on, Bev's like, I'm going to go live with my aunt. Yeah. And you're like, what happened to your dad? Yeah. Are you like in trouble? (laughs) Did anyone ask you what happened? Yeah. So, but after she does this, suddenly Pennywise is there. Yeah. And like grabs grabs her. her. Mm -hmm. And now we're flying into the third act. Yes. Um, For the rest of this, we're going to talk about them separately because they are very different. Yeah. So we'll start with the book. Mm -hmm. Um. Bev, Bev is chased by Henry and then she runs into the rest of the group and then they're basically they all are kind of chased into the sewers by Henry and his gang. And there's kind of an understanding from everyone like they've been planning for a final encounter with Pennywise. Yeah. But they're suddenly like this is it like mm-hmm. it's happening now and we kind of just have to go with it. Yeah. And they're not prepared. They don't have any equipment. And I mean the sewers in the book are very like dark 
narrow, close, like claustrophobic, like, Lab- like sewers would actually like a be. labyrinth. Yeah. And we get a lot more establishment beforehand from like Bill's dad who works with like the um the department of whatever yeah. <laughs> in town just explaining how like there's old networks t- tied to newer ones and like no one really knows like where they all lead. Yeah. Like it's just kind of like an old system. Mm-hmm. And so they're just kind of going through it and they're having Eddie guide them because he has a compass inside his head, which has never been established until now, but you know, good old Eddie, he knows where he's going. Yeah. They encounter various incarnations of it on their way through the sewers. Um, first it comes to them as a giant eyeball, which is something that like Richie has secretly been afraid of. Yeah. Uh, and so they have to fight off the eyeball. Yeah. Eddie sprays his asthma medication at it. Yeah. And says that I believe it's acid. Yeah. And it burns it like acid. Mm-hmm. And while they're fighting it, they like get Richie to join where Eddie's just like, it's just a fucking eyeball. It's just a big eyeball. And he like amps everyone up to like. Att- yeah. <laughs> and my favorite part in maybe the whole book Richie punches the eyeball. His arm just goes like Ew. elbow deep into it. And then he just like throws Bleh. up on the eyeball. <laughs> he just like immediately throws up on it. It's great. <laughs> but they they chase it back. There's one more encounter after that with a big bird where Stan actually helps in that situation, which is cool. Mm-hmm. He gets to play more of an active role. And then eventually they get really deep underground. Yeah. And I love how dark and like claustrophobic it feels in a lot of ways in the book. Mm-hmm. And they get to the door, this little creepy door. They that, call it a fairy door. Oh, yeah. And they know like this is its lair. Because mm-hmm. so, there's bones outside of it. Yeah, there's just <laughs> hundreds of children's bones. There's this symbol on the door that is kind of open to interpretation and there's actually like no one knows what it means. I looked it up on the internet. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) Um, But they go inside and this is where they see it in its semi-final form. Um, They're not able to view its true form because it is otherworldly, but to them it appears to be like a 15 foot tall spider. Yeah. And things get very like Lovecraftian at this point in the story where like, like you said, like that is just like, as much as their minds can grasp without going insane, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. And so Big Spider and Bill approaches it and they lock eyes and they begin... The ritual of Chud. The ritual of Chud. Which is uh, you stick your tongue out and I'll bite onto it and then I stick my tongue out and you bite onto that and then we tell jokes until one of us laughs. Is Yes, is like... The story that they read about Chud. Yeah. And it uses this metaphor in a way for this like chaotic, uh, trippy acid trip of an experience. (laughs) It is an acid trip. Where Bill gets like pulled and sucked into like the darkness, into the void. Yeah. And it's like the void of space. Yeah. And he's like flying through it and he's kind of like encountering Pennywise here like in his like mind in his mind and he passes the turtle yes the turtle which is just a being that may have created the universe may not have he may have thrown up the entire (laughs) universe as we know it he is not helpful he's basically (laughs) just like can't really help you 
Um, you just have to like believe or something. What, Dumb. What shitty advice. Just believe. I know. As he gets pulled into like a cosmic terror. Fun fact though, this turtle apparently appears in some of Stephen King's other books. Most yeah. notably the Dark Tower series. Mm-hmm. And apparently Pennywise appears in it too. Oh, interesting. Maybe. There's a character called the Crimson King. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. And people think it is Pennywise okay. potentially. Huh. But it is weird though, because like the turtle, quote unquote, has been referenced. Yeah. Uh, from the future characters mm-hmm. and these stories, the past and present are going at the same time. Yeah. So we're told about the turtle, the turtle, the turtle. And then it does nothing. And then, it, yeah, I'm like, it's so useless. It's kind of implied that like he's the force that's been guiding them. I think it's actually supposed to be another force. Yeah. Which makes more. There's like the other another thing beyond Pennywise and the turtle mm-hmm. that like I don't even think Pennywise like necessarily believes in. Yeah. I don't think he thinks it exists, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think maybe that's supposed to be what's guiding them. It's not clear. No, it's not. However, we get a scene though, and this has been like this has been a great build up for Bill because there's this little word exercise he's been doing. Yeah. And it's been referenced in the the present quote unquote timeline, but it's he thrusts his fist against the post and still insists he sees the ghost. And it's par- apparently something um, people who are trying to work on a stutter use. Yeah. Because it's like hard to say, kind of like a tongue twister. And Bill has this idea if he can just say it without stuttering, then he can like defeat it. Yeah. And not only that, but before, like this saying has such a meaning to him because he thinks like if he can say it and not stutter and get over his stutter... That, like, somehow that will make things better with his parents. Yeah. Like, somehow they'll be so happy about him getting past that that, like, they'll maybe, like, forget Georgie or get over it. Yeah. And it's such a heartbreaking thought. It is. That's, like, so indicative of, like, a kid's idea of, like, what maybe can solve a problem. Yeah. And how kids maybe, like, focus on one issue that they have in their life and like if I could just get past this thing yeah everything would be better and I love the emotional arc of Bill relating to this phrase yeah and so when he does say it to it successfully like it's a triumph it is there's a triumph and there's like a power and a power to it that like suddenly like it hurts Pennywise yeah and he gets Pennywise to like pull him out Because he's, like, approaching what he calls the deadlights. Yeah. Which I think is its truest form. Yeah, because, like, it exists in this other universe as well as on Earth. So there's, like, two versions of it. And I think Bill understands that if he gets to the deadlights and sees them, that he'll, like, be lost forever. Mm -hmm. Like, mentally, and that he'll be there forever. And Pennywise is like, you'll always be mine. Yeah. And there's just kind of this horror Mm -hmm. to, like, this... Like we said, very Lovecraftian kind of stuff. Yeah, but Bill gets pulled back. Pennywise is clearly injured and like floundering around. And then um, it like kind of retreats. And at this time, it's like giant web, which has like a ton of um, bodies in it starts coming down. And the web is like dangerous and like can hurt them. So it it actually kind of separates it from the children. And they're like... It's dead. We have to go. <laughs> it's probably dead. And I'm like, I, how do you know that it's dead? They're like, like probably 90% chance he's dead. So then they actually leave. Yeah. And they manage to escape. And like, not all of them are positive. It's dead. But yeah, you know, 
uh, they get out, they get into the sewers, and they get lost in the sewers. Yep. And for any of you who are familiar with this book... You knew we were going to get here at one point, and here we are. We're finally here. I'm sorry that it's only just now in a kind of a long episode, but we got to talk about it. We have to give it the time that it's due. So I have heard this referred to as the child orgy, which I take offense to that term. Yeah. Because in my eyes, you can't call something an orgy if more than two people aren't having sex at the same time. I agree. And actually, when I heard about, quote unquote, the child orgy, yeah. I assumed that like the boys were also maybe having sex with each other. Yeah. I mean, that's like when I hear orgy, that's like that's, yeah. what... So when I found out that it's just all the boys taking turns with Bev, yeah. I was like, oh, God, like, that's even worse. Yeah. Like, that's even, there's, like, so much to address with this. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the fact that it's Bev's idea yeah. to do this. And I think a lot of that is to misdirect any implication that this is, like, a group rape yeah. or anything like, like that. They're like, oh, well, Bev was the one that suggested it, and she wants to do it and has to convince the others to do it. Yeah, and it actually goes almost in the other direction where Bev is, like, has to, like, pressure all the boys. And they say no to her multiple times, and she kind of, like, she kind of assaults them. Yeah, it's really, like, in terms of... I mean, yeah, they say no, and she keeps being like, no, we have to. We have to do this. Yeah, and, like, grabbing onto them physically and, like, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, she, so she has sex with, like, Eddie first and then Stan and Mike and then, uh, I don't even, the order doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. What matters is there's, like, <laughs> ten pages yeah. of description. Mm-hmm. Like, I was hoping reading this, because I knew the end gets trippy. I'm like, maybe it'll be really abstract And even though I know they're, like, having sex, like, maybe it, like, won't be descriptive. Yeah. But it's very descriptive. It is. And I would like to bring up the fact that they are all 11. 11. And we know for a fact that Bev hasn't even begun menstruating yet. Yeah. Um, The very concept that she would could have sex with, like, six boys. Yeah. And that she could do that and not just be, like, in agony. Yeah. And realistically, if this happened to an 11 year old girl, if she was, um, if she had sex with six partners, one after another, there would be severe physical damage. Yeah. And I hate, I hate that we have to talk about the logistics of this child group sex scene, Yeah, but we have to because Stephen King does for 10 pages and makes us read them. And the reason for it is very dumb because they're like oh we're lost and bev is like our connection is fading i know something that will bring us together and i'm like it's only bringing them together with you how does that bind the rest of them together to each other yeah and the most and it's it feels so um added on at this point because once they do get out of the sewers they do the blood pact yeah and that is the thing that, that brings them back. Yes. Like at the beginning of the story when they're adults, it's like the scars appear on their hands. Yeah. And like that is the thing that they remember and mm-hmm. is pulling them back to the town. Like that's the thing that is like symbolic of them like making this resolution and coming together. Yeah. And making this pact. So it's like. Why did they need this? Why did we need to do it twice? Yeah. Like why is. It felt like Stephen King had that in mind the entire time. And then later. And, and let's talk about King's 
like idea of this because he has said that this is like symbolic of them crossing from childhood into adulthood, which it's like they're 11. They're 11 and there's more to s- than just sex to being yeah. an adult. Yes. <laughs> and like we've seen so much like actual character growth from them up until this point that like why do we need this to like carry it across the line? Yeah. Um, I've also seen Stephen King mention like there's a lot more sensitivity to these issues now than there was back then. I'm like in the 80s. I'm pretty sure everyone like ripped you a new one in the 80s for this when it came out too. Yeah. How could you <laughs> like it was still the 80s. Yeah. Uh, no there one... was a different idea about 11 year olds having sex in the 80s. I'm like, I don't think so. No, like not to this, not this extreme gross situation. That and makes no sense and is not really important to the story and is uncomfortable for everyone who reads it and upsetting for many of us, myself included. And it's just, it's just, it's just, just so unnecessary and so dumb. And especially coming from the character of Bev, who we are led to believe may have been sexually assaulted by her father, was physically assaulted by her father, is very in a trauma induced state where her father is constantly talking to her about like, you need to stay my little girl and don't, don't be sexual is trying to like keep her young. And so for her to like do this and it's portrayed as like giving her power. Yeah. And I'm like, there's more to yourself and your sense of identity than the fact that you can fuck. Exactly. And, and there's no understanding of like her, her, when her dad was like yelling at her for this, she's like, no, like, we're just friends. Like, yeah. why can't I just be friends with boys? And it's like, agreed. Yes. Like, she should just be able to, like, be friends with these boys. Like, especially because they're 11. Yeah. Like, her dad is the fucked up one for, like, implying. Like, twisting that idea. Yeah. So for then, for King to Do have it anyway. that literal exact idea of a situation occur in reality. This could come straight out of her dad's twisted mind. Yeah. And, but. It's obviously played to be like this like positive experience. Empowering, bringing them together, this like emotionalness. It's very, it's it's upsetting. It's gross. It's awful. It's terrible. And I can't forgive this book for that. No. Um, for all the good character work that King does at other points in the story, like there's a lot of good qualities to this story that I really like, but... Adina, you said it best, I think. King is his own worst enemy. Yeah. And he has no good, I think, editors or voices to tell him, like, hey. Hey, this is not a good idea. I think maybe it could use 100% less child sex scenes. Yeah. And coming (laughs) off the fact that Beverly has been overly sexualized throughout the book. So, you know, this isn't even just, like, out of nowhere. It is kind of out of nowhere. But, like, the fact that she's been sexualized by her friends, sexualized by her father, by other adults in the story. It's just, you know, the last straw in this troubling trend that's appeared through this book of an 11 year old girl who can't just live her fucking life. And she has to have these men harass her, sexualize her and view her only as a woman and not as anything more. Couldn't have said it better. (laughs) (laughs) I think let's move on. I think we've said enough about this scene. (laughs) They get out, they make the the blood pact, and that's basically it for the childhood portion of the mo- of the book. Yeah. Let's talk about what happens in the movie. Yeah. They go back. Oh, so Bev is Bev is kidnapped. Yes. And 
Bill discovers this. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of like rounds everybody up. Yeah. And they go back to the house on Niebolt Street mm-hmm. to go down the well, which is like when they heard him before, they saw him descend into the well. So they know he comes from there. So yeah. let's go there. Mm-hmm. They go into the house. They it's very I think. I haven't seen Goonies, but I know the images of them going down a rope. Yeah. So, like, this scene felt kind of like a nod to Goonies almost, maybe. And then, of course, Henry shows up. Crazy-ass Henry. Who has already killed his father (laughs) earlier that day. Fresh off of killing his dad. Yeah, he's crazy now. He's full-blown. The book did a lot to, like, be like, he's really unhinged. Yeah. And I think the movie did a good job, too, of like he's in it. His dad is abusive to him, too. Yeah. There's a scene where his dad shoots a gun at his feet Mm -hmm. that I think was very good at like establishing that. Yeah. So Henry sticks a switchblade in his neck (laughs) and now he's like after the losers Mm because he's like fully under the influence of it. Yeah. At this point. Mm -hmm. And of course, only Mike (laughs) is still at the top of the well when Henry shows up. And so Mike has to deal with him like alone. Yeah. Henry literally tries to kill him with that cattle gun. Yeah. And, and then Mike pushes him down the well. Mike pushes him. <laughs> Another act of child murder is yes. committed. First well, Bev with her dad and now uh, Mike with Mike, Henry. Seemingly child murder. I think he maybe comes back in the next movie. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, Mike just shoves him down the well. <laughs> and like the kids watch him like fall. It's kind of great. Yeah. And then they enter. And there's... A terrifying scene where Stan gets singled out and attacked. Yes, by the painting lady. Uh, and like the gross the teeth. it mouth is on his Ugh. face. I'm like, how did he not die from that? <laughs> like, the teeth were on his face. I know. Oh, that's upsetting. I just would have died of just fear. heart failure. Yeah. Which maybe. Uh, and the role of fear is interesting in the movie. It's more clearly um, described as Pennywise needs the fear in order to like eat them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's what he's, that's the main driver of what he gets out of the kids. Yeah. Uh, So then, but like, this is like clearly like very, it's very sad to watch Stan be upset about this. I know. And I think it does a good job of like, this is like a very scarring moment for him. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. But they go deeper and Bill actually sees Georgie. Yeah. And chases after him and kind of separates himself from the group mm-hmm. where they find Bev. Yes. The Bev is like, they get into this like almost cathedral like area. It's yeah. very open. There's like piles of trash and they can see that there are bodies of victims just like floating in the air in the sky. And Bev isn't too far up so they can like pull her down. And she hasn't been killed, but she's kind of like catatonic and they're trying to wake her up. And Ben has the bright idea to kiss her and he does. And that wakes her up, which is... She did not consent to that kiss. It's creepy, no. but it is much less upsetting and disturbing than what we get in the book. So I'll take it. I, I feel like <laughs> I don't even want to discuss it. It is funny, though, because like today people acknowledge a lot how creepy like Sleeping Beauty is. Yeah. Like most people will acknowledge like, yeah, a guy kissing like knocked out women yeah. in the woods is bad. So like for them to do that exact thing, I was like, I think they could have like known not to do that. Yeah. But regardless, I, I will take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, and Bill finds Georgie and Georgie's missing his arm now. Yeah. And so like there's the implication that maybe this is the real George. Mm-hmm. And he's so cute again. No, he's sad. And 
this is a good moment of catharsis for Bill because he's kind of like he's both talking to his dead brother and just but also like coming to terms with him being dead. Yeah. Because after a moment, he says, like, I love you, Georgie, but this isn't you. Yeah. And he takes the cattle gun and like shoots Shoots Georgie in the head. Yeah. And of course, he lays there for like 10 seconds and we're like, oh, God, I hope that wasn't actually Georgie. And it, it turns into Pennywise. I love that effect of him. Like shaking. Yeah. And then the legs like shoot out. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a cool, but he like turns into Pennywise. Yeah. Then there's kind of a tussle Mm -hmm. and Pennywise gets a hold of Bill. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to eat him. (laughs) Tasty, tasty. But all of you can go free if you leave Bill behind. And we get a great moment of the group kind of rallying around Bill. They refuse to leave him. And of course, the iconic line from Richie (laughs) where he pulls like a bat or like a rod or something out of the trash pile. And he's he's just like, and now I have to kill this fucking clown. (laughs) I love that part because it's it's such a great build up to that moment. But then we get a bunch of kids fighting Pennywise. They beat the shit out of him. They beat the shit out of Pennywise. And I love it. Yeah. It's so good. It's everything that the book isn't, which is... The book is this existential mind battle and the movie is like, oh, they just like kick and beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And it's good, too, because like Pennywise is like using all these fear tactics on them, like turning into the things that scare them once again. But they're not afraid. Yeah. And they're so like they're actually able to like fight him now. Mm -hmm. So like it does a good job of like thematically wrapping that up. Yeah. Not to get off topic, but like quick question. At one point, Pennywise, his arms turn into like mantis arms. Oh, yeah. Do you think that's like a hint at maybe his true form? Maybe. Because we've never seen. He's not the spider in the movie at all. Yeah, no, he's not the spider yet or anything. And we've never seen anything like that. I was just like, is that a nod to maybe what he's going to be? Yeah. Later on? Maybe. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. But they kick the shit out of him. And then. We also get a nice catharsis moment for Bev. Yeah. Where right when he's nearly dead, he turns into her dad Mm -hmm. and is like, don't kill me. Yeah. And she shoves like a rod down his throat. It's awesome. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's good too, because it's like giving her some emotional conclusion to like what she's clearly been dealing with. Yeah. And getting her to really like kill the thing that scares her the most. I mean, she already killed her dad once. <laughs> she did. She could, she's fine to do it again. <laughs> it's, she's kind of, just kind of doubling down on that. Yeah. It kind of like crawls into this hole and its head is sort of disintegrating, which is interesting. And then like falls in. The last thing it says is fear. And then it drops into the well hole. Yeah. I can more believe that he would be dead in this movie version than in the book. Yeah. Because like, it seems like his head was actually like falling apart. Yeah. So his big ass bowling ball head. Yeah. <laughs> and I love I think he says fear because like it's the first time he's experiencing it. Mm. Like I think and he can be hurt. Yeah. Like he's never been hurt or challenged by anything before. Yeah. And I think he's almost like, oh, my God, this is like what fear is like. Wow. And he's almost kind of just like shocked by it. I like that. Yeah. That's my that's my personal interpretation but they get out of the sewers and then they do the blood pact again yeah um or not again i guess in this version in this version they do it (laughs) it's interesting in the in the book stan is the one that tells them that wants them to do the blood pact and in the movie it's bill yeah which honestly in the book i don't understand why it's stan 
Like of all people, yeah. I won't say what I mean by that, but of all people, why Stan? Mm-hmm. Given th- other things that happen, but yeah, I-, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, Bill does it. They promise that if he's not dead in twenty-seven years, when the cycle should start again, if it does, yeah, they'll return. Mm-hmm. And then Bill and Bev get a kiss. Yeah, which it's like Bev is leaving for Portland apparently. Yeah, so it's like. That's it. Is that like the extent of their relationship, I wonder? I think so. Is just that one moment together? I, yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But uh, yeah, they they split apart. And that's the end. That's our ending. Wow. <laughs> Both versions. <laughs> this episode ran long. Yes. We apologize. But there's, God, this was half of it. This is only I know, half. And we left out so much. There's so much we probably could have talked about. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to do a witch's best. No. Version this time. We're mm-hmm. going to wait until we've seen the other movie and just kind of like. Lump it together. Lump them together. Yeah. Uh, but do you have any theories or thoughts about what you'll expect? Because we haven't seen the second movie yet. It's not out yet. No. Do you have any ideas about what? I'm interested to see what they'll do with some of the history of Derry. If we'll get more kind of like in the book, the interludes, if we'll get more of yeah. that. Yeah. Because the interludes were one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah. And I don't know if that'll translate well to a movie. Yeah. But I'd be interested by it. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious with what they're going to do with the final battle. Yeah. I like what the first movie did. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the second movie, the follow-up, is more trippy. Yeah. And kind of like crazy and like telekinetic other dimensions like wackiness yeah yeah i I really do want that Mm -hmm. i want to see more of what it is like all the stuff that happens like relating to that yeah that the first encounter because like both encounters and both versions play out it's like repeating yeah of like events almost repeat exactly the same in book versions yeah of the past and future so it's kind of like you just get the same thing twice yeah so i appreciate that the first movie is like Let's do something different. Let's do something different. First round, yeah. Yeah, and I hope we get something different this next time in the movie and that we get that crazy, trippy aspect. Yeah. But we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. It's very exciting. What a half of a story that we've discussed (laughs) today. (laughs) Boy. Should we do a lightning round? Let's do a lightning round. So the thing we have to talk about that we haven't talked about this entire time, and maybe people are like furious that we've waited so long, (laughs) but we have to address Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. Yes. And how good he does with this role. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to do the bonus episode on the miniseries and talk about which one we think is better. Yeah. Because they're very different. Bill Skarsgård plays it so almost like childish. Yeah. In a creepy way. And he does that thing with with his eyeballs, Mm -hmm. which by the way is real. He can actually do that. Yeah, the way his eyeball drifts to the one side, mm-hmm. that's real. That's not like a CGI effect. Oh, my God. Also, that weird lip thing he does. But, like, <laughs> it's interesting because his costume is more, like, old-timey clown. Like, apparently yeah. it's, like, a compilation of different time periods for clowns. And there's just, like, a lot of, like, details to his costume and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, ultimately his Pennywise is really interesting and i think the the physicality is really there yeah and also like the way they blended cgi with practical is really well done yeah like the points when his teeth come out i love those effects they're so like the way his face like warps yeah as like his mouth opens i think is super good it's scary it is (laughs) it is scary uh but yeah no i 
I think Bill Skarsgård is fantastic, and I'm glad like this movie will get him being talked about more. Yes. The the Royal Skarsgård family of acting. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> um, so I want to mention in the movie just a couple Richie highlights because he is amazing and so funny. There's this like background shot where they're talking. The gang is talking and Richie is just in the background. There's like a parade and he's just like fucking around with someone's tuba. <laughs> Yeah, or like they're French. It's not a French horn. Or I French, some kind of horn. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like messing with this like band member's instrument yeah. and being a dick. It's so funny. <laughs> and then, of course, he has another great line when they have the rock fight, actually, with Henry. And Richie screams, uh, go blow your dad, you mullet-wearing asshole. <laughs> he's like the last one to say anything. Yeah. We also get the great line when Stan mentions the woman in the painting. Yeah. And Richie's like, was she hot? <laughs> and Stan's just like, no, Richie. She wasn't hot. <laughs> I love that part. Uh, the character of Patrick Hockstetter is interesting. Yeah. In the movie, he's just like one of... Um, it's victims. It's victims and Henry's friends. He gets He's the one who gets lured into the sewers early and gets attacked yeah. by dead children in Great. a very scary part that's really well done. Mm-hmm. In the book, though, like we've like it's been established that Henry's like mentally like hanging by a thread yeah but we actually get like a whole part about patrick and how he's actually like a sociopath again this doesn't really affect the story at all no not at all but we get a very deep dive into patrick's like life and history and he actually like killed his infant brother yeah because he didn't like that his parents were paying more attention to his brother than him yeah and like he just has like no emotions about it at all and he like yeah. understands like society has rules and you have to follow society yeah. like rules to like get by but he also thinks he's the only real person in the world yeah which that's the only aspect i liked about the patrick story because it ties into it a little bit yeah because it seems to also have that idea that like it's the only real thing mm-hmm. that kind of matters. Yeah. Like it's above every humans and like it only exists on its own. Yeah. So I did like that connection mm-hmm. that it made. Yeah. I also want to mention this really great Twitter account called Men Right Women. Yes. And it's so good. And they take so many, like they take submissions. They have all these actual passages of men writing female characters and it is terrible and Stephen King has many examples in this account so I mean I think it's important because it's calling attention to the way that men write about women and the men's ideas of like what women's bodies are it's upsetting but I think it's important to talk about and then I also want to mention if you've read the book or if you're a fan of the movie definitely check out the Wikipedia page for um, Banger Maine So Bangor is a real town in Maine, and uh, actually Stephen King has a house there. And Stephen King has been on the record saying that, like, he based Derry exclusively on Bangor. Yeah. Like, and he just named it Derry. But literally, there are so many tie-ins to the book and to the movie. Uh, The standpipe is a real thing. Okay. The Paul Bunyan statue is a real thing they have there. Oh, interesting. There was this... um, series of a homophobic murders that will tie into our later second part that happened there. Um, there's just so many like hidden gems in there. It was also like a a logging town and has like a long history. 
And uh, so, yeah, just like check out the Wikipedia page. I was like going through and was like, oh, my God, the statue, like this yeah. thing, this thing, this thing. So boy, I bet that town loved when this book came out. And he's like, oh, yeah, the shitty, horrible, like homicidal town. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's Bangor. Bangor. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this town. <laughs> yeah. So definitely check it out. It's really fun. Interesting. I'll, I'll definitely read that. And that's it. That's Except it. it's not it it's because not. we'll be back next week. You don't have to wait two weeks. <laughs> we'll be back in 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to be seven days. We'll be back next week with our follow-up episode on the second part. So definitely check that out. Again, please follow us on uh, Twitter. We're at Cover Two Credits with the number two. We're tweeting out lots of hot content over there. Oh, so yeah. check it out. Find us on Instagram. We're on Facebook. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating if you feel like it. Yeah. Uh, it really helps us out. It's very appreciated. Also, as we've said, if you become a patron, we have uh, bonus episodes that we release only to patrons. Yes. Only a buck gets you in. Yeah. And we also take um, suggestions from patrons. We, t- we take suggestions from anyone for episodes. But patrons have priority. For sure. We always try to prioritize patron suggestions. Mm-hmm. So uh, if that sounds appealing at all come join us on Patreon. Yes. And thank you again for listening. We hope you're as excited as we are to finish this saga next <laughs> week. <laughs> I, if, if you've read the book, I think you probably can empathize a little bit with how we feel having concluded it. Yeah. And we're at the finish line now. And I can't wait to talk about the next movie and the rest of the book. Babe, you can say, see you next week. Oh my God, you're right. I can say it. <laughs> I say, say it. it. I say it on accident all the time, <laughs> but I can truly say it now. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>